All right. Good morning. Um, I'm excited to get to be here with you and share God's word again with you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16. If you'd like to turn there, the children are leaving. Um, I'm excited to share this passage with you. In just a moment, I'll share why it's kind of special for me this time of year, especially. Uh, but also just given that we just uh, went through that for the life of the church, for the life of the world study. Hopefully we'll see some of those same ideas about how the church is meant to minister to one another and serve each other and so glorify God in the world. As we see an example of that in the early church in Acts chapter 16. Normally, uh, when I've spoken here in the past, I've I've gotten up and read the passage that we're going to look at together and then uh, prayed for our time together. This morning, uh, since it is such a large passage of scripture, as Cameron reminded me when I said I'd like to do this, We're going to look at it in three different parts, and so I'll read each of those sections as we get to it. Um, But since we're going to do it that way, I'd like to go ahead and invite you in joining me briefly um, and praying that God would bless our time together, uh, truly believing that really nothing valuable can come from this time if God's Spirit is not active and at work. Um, And so just as he's been at work in our worship already, would you join me in praying that he would continue to be at work as we turn attention to his word. Gracious Father, once again, we just thank you for the privilege of being called your sons and daughters. We thank you that you meet us where we are in the midst of so many pains and struggles and failures as we continue to wrestle with our old self. You are so gracious to us in Christ to continue to stoop to us, to have compassion on us, And so as we come to this passage this morning, would you continue to show us that and encourage us in Christ? Father, would you be glorified as your people turn to your word, uh, that this would continue to be an act of worship as we submit ourselves to your word? And Father, that you would be faithful to shape us into the image of the firstborn, into your son Jesus, and that we would be a reflection of, of our Lord and Savior to one another and to the world around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to start off this morning by inviting you into my anxiety. Doesn't that sound fun? Um, But this is one of those times of the year where I am excited. It's one of my favorite times of the year. It's also one of my least favorite times of the year. Parent paradox. Uh, It's an anxious time for me for many reasons. Uh, I'm not very good at logistics, and it's the beginning of the school year, so we have to have some logistics to do things. Uh, But the main thing usually that causes me anxiety is is we do our opening events. Uh, We do a pig picking, and a lot of people come because they want to look at the pig and perhaps eat it. Uh, It's just the sheer number of students at KSU. (laughs) And not just the number of students, but the diversity of students. our, our hope, I'm, I'm the campus minister for RUF, is to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve, and that sounds beautiful and lovely. Um, but then I, every year I look out and see the wide range of students, and I remember that I'm a very not cool, white, privileged male with a couple crazy kids, and here I am with all these 18 and 20, to 22 to 25 year olds uh, with different stories and backgrounds. And I always just kind of wonder, like, God, how are you going to reach these people? with me. Um, How how are we really going to be able to to build community and welcome people and care for them and and point them to the cross Uh, when there's there's so many differences we have, when there's so many of them, uh, when we run out of pigs so quickly, 
and other things because, once again, not good at logistics. And I, I think I'm not the only one, as I invite you into this anxiety, who suffers from this. I think a lot of students, in a similar fashion, the beginning of school year is pretty scary, right? Uh, am I going to have friends in these classes? Are there going to be people that I connect with? Did the Myers-Briggs placement for my roommate, did it actually do anything? Or will we just hate each other even more because we're supposed to get along and we don't? Uh, there's just so many questions, and it's, it's true for the church as well, isn't it? Right? It, we hope to be a loving and welcoming community, and yet every week there's going to be people walking through those doors, and I don't know about you, but oftentimes I'm wondering, are we going to, to love these people? Are we going to successfully care for them? Do we have people here that, that they can relate to? Or are we aware of our own kind of blind spots in the ways that we fail to love people? And yet we know, we know, and we're told that, that God is going to draw people from every tongue, tribe, and nation into his kingdom. That God cares a great deal about all peoples and that the gospel truly is for everyone. And so every year, truly, uh, I have to go back to Acts 16. Because for me, it's, it's a beautiful passage that reminds us of that truth and shows us that truth working out. It shows us the reach of the gospel and how the gospel really does meet us where we are. As we get the account of three very different people having three very different encounters with the gospel. Um, and so I, th- I hope it's an encouragement for us this morning. Uh, my fear a little bit when we run to Acts, when we look at examples of the early church, is it's really easy to get into practical, pragmatic, how do we do ministry mode. And jump in and say, okay, like, what can we do better now to reach people? And I think one of my goals this morning as we look at this passage is that it would also apply to our own hearts. Um, I, I feel like as we look at Acts, it's easy to kind of be the typical freshman. And if you're a college freshman here and, and you're this person, I love you. But the typical freshman I meet with who has all of these grand plans to reach the campus, to start Bible studies, to begin revival, it happens every year at least once. And, and yet hasn't thought very much about how they're going to rest in the gospel and grow in the gospel and how college is going to be a challenge for them and how they need community and how they need Jesus. Um, and so my fear is that we would just run into Acts 16 and pull out all these wonderful nuggets of how to like do ministry better and not think about how the gospel reaches us as well and how that's an encouragement for our hearts. But of course, having seen how the gospel meets us where we are, hopefully that also turns us outward. And so I'd encourage you this morning as we look at these three very different people and their encounters with the gospel to to ask yourself, because it's so diverse and so broad, I think all of us in some way have our imbalances, the the areas we tend to lean into. Where do I find this truth most difficult to believe or practice? Because I think it's impossible to look at the three people in front of us this morning in Acts 16, and at least for one of them not say, wow, I struggle to love that sort of person, or I struggle to believe the gospel reaches me in that way. Um, So that's something to be thinking about as we look at it. How does the gospel reach us where we are? Three things, and I'd like to begin by reading the story of Lydia's conversion as we see the ordinary reach of the gospel. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She prevailed upon us. So the first person we meet um, as Paul and Luke uses the we here, so apparently he's joined Silas and Timothy with Paul on this journey, is an encounter with a woman named Lydia. Um, She seems to be doing fairly well. Uh, She's a seller of purple goods, could be uh, doing well financially. That's often a a royal color, a color that's used in worship. Uh, She's a business owner. We're told her name, which is a great deal of respect on Luke's part. Um, is we don't always get someone's name, and we'll see that in just a moment. Um, and she's also a God-fearer. It's interesting because as we come to Lydia, and we see the example of how the, the gospel reaches her, I, I think for a lot of us it looks kind of familiar, right? She's the somewhat typical church testimony. I grew up in the church, um, going to Bible studies, and then one day, all of a sudden I understood I was a sinner and I needed Jesus. Um, Lydia is, is a God-fearer. She's someone who, despite it, it appearing that there's not a synagogue in this city and they have to go on the outskirts of town to worship, she's someone who's interested in God. She's, she's interested in prayer and being with God's people. Um, and so Paul meets her, and he doesn't take for granted. Uh, Paul and his, his fellow travelers don't find this group of women who've taken the time to leave the city so they could find a place of prayer and says, oh, wow, you're so spiritual, you don't need to hear the gospel. But no, they find them, and, and they have a Bible study, or Paul preaches the word. And as Paul and his companions share the word, we're told that God is at work, that the Lord opened her heart to hear. And so we see an example of God working faithfully through this ordinary Bible study. And I'm so thankful that that we have this story of this conversion, Acts 16, um, because, you know, there probably were a lot of conversions. We're told in Acts over and over that the church was growing by number daily, and the word of God spread, and as uh, the, the followers of Christ were dispersed throughout the Roman territory, that they would share the word when they went, and more and more were being added to their number. And yet Luke includes this seemingly ordinary conversion, right? He doesn't just tell us about the amazing exorcisms and healings, Uh, the sort of testimonies that we might want to have at our big conferences and revivals. He gives us a story of Lydia and God's faithfulness in her life before Paul and Silas and Timothy meet her and God's faithfulness through this ordinary uh, means of grace. One of the things we do at Christ Community, maybe it makes you feel awkward, uh, but one of the ways we confess our faith together at times and um, practice that together is through the Westminster Confession of Faith. And one of the things the, the Westminster Divines recognized that I hadn't really thought about before until, until I encountered it myself was that there really are regular, outward, and ordinary means whereby God applies redemption to us. Um, and it's, it's, it's the reading of God's Word, and especially the preaching of that Word in, in prayer together. It's the sort of things that I think if we're honest, we'll look at and say, this just seems so normal not that special, right? Uh, is God really at work through these ordinary things, through this, this stumbling, stammering preacher, through these songs that we may or may not be familiar with, through these prayers that at times it's hard to pay attention to or participate in because we think about how our kid uh, was horrible on the way to church and is probably being horrible 
to someone right now in nursery. Is, is that really how God is going to usher in his kingdom? Right? I mean, it's, it's the struggle every college student will wrestle with. Like, should, is it really worth it for me to get up on Sunday morning? Um, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I've done a lot of things. I've got a lot of classes and work to do. Are you telling me this thing called church is really that important? It's, it's just so easy, I think, for us to discount the ordinary, right? We, we long for the extraordinary. We long for the incredible experience, the amazing event, the, that special mission trip, or that, that incredible word, that amazing experience that will transform us. And so often, when we turn to God's word, we see him faithfully working through the small things. That God's spirit is active and present when his word is brought forth. That God's spirit is active and present when people gather together in prayer. It's one of the things I've been so encouraged about just to see our church becoming passionate about starting small groups and praying for one another and having prayer meetings and the, the consistent effort to, to be a, a people of prayer. Really believing and trusting and setting an example of believing that God is active and faithful to meet us where we are through these ordinary things. And yet I think for all of us, we're, we're prone to disbelieve that. There's areas of our life where we, we give up on it, whether it be reading the word regularly or prayer or, or showing up at worship. And even as Acts 16 challenges us, we have to trust that Jesus is faithful um, and that he's at work. That's the most encouraging thing about this, right? It's not that Paul is such an incredible speaker. Um, I think in each instance we could see how Paul actually, uh, it's not that he's the primary vehicle. In the next instance we'll look at, he doesn't maybe have the best attitude, but in each case, God is at work. God is opening hearts and is faithful and working through his spirit. Um, and even as we confess this morning in our confession of sin, as we think about applying this truth to others, Right? Do we just give people labels and assume, okay, you've shown up to church X number of times, or you've said X number of spiritual things to me, so you are now a Christian, and so there's no need for me to share the gospel with you anymore, or worry about that, or do we rest in that, or do we continue to minister the gospel to one another? Um, I've been so encouraged and, and loved on by Cameron um, and his faithfulness to not just assume, oh, your job is ministry but to continue to ask me questions about the gospel and be concerned about my own personal growth and faith. Um, and I'm sure Lydia was thankful too that she celebrated with her household that, that Paul didn't just look at her and say, wow, you seem like your life is really together. I probably don't need to, to share the gospel with you. Um, that we would be a people who continually seek and desire to see one another moving towards the cross because the gospel's reach is ordinary. The Gospel's reach is also powerful. Um, having heard of Lydia's conversion, we're taken immediately to a very different person and their encounter with the Gospel. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas 
and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Right on the hills of having this, this Bible study conversion with Lydia, this God-fearer, this well-to-do woman, we meet someone who really couldn't be more of an opposite of Lydia, right? Uh, we have this slave girl who's oppressed in just about every way. She's, she's oppressed socially and economically. She's oppressed spiritually. We're not given her name. She probably has no freedom to move about. Um, if anything, she's the sort of person that if you or I met on the street corner, we'd probably think, oh my goodness, I hope this person doesn't speak to me because I wouldn't know what to say. And so we, we look at the concrete and move them maybe a little quickly. Unless we think that, that Paul is, is the key here, that it's not the gospel. Right? Paul's attitude's not that great either. I think it's really helpful. It's almost a little strange the first time we hear it that Luke included it, that, that Paul got annoyed with her. Um, but, but his speaking to the girl is mainly out of a spirit of being annoyed, right? We're told that this slave girl with a spirit of divination that's possessed is following him around for several days, screaming and hollering about who they are. And regardless of what your job is or what your place is in society, that would be really annoying, right? <laughs> that would be horrible if you're trying to meet people and talk to them and this girl was constantly following you around. And so Paul, not, not necessarily out of the greatest motivation or compassion or concern, but annoyed, says, get out of here, right? In the name of Jesus Christ, stop it. And yet nothing about this girl's oppression and the forces that bind her or control her, nothing about Paul's maybe half-hearted desire to see her set free, nothing about his mixed motivation, nothing can stop the power of gospel from freeing this girl from these, these forces that control her. Um, at times, I think, when we, when we see the apostles doing things, we put far too much kind of hope and confidence in their abilities and powers uh, for the Harry Potter nerds, I think it's almost like we think they're casting Patronus charms, and there's a great deal of skill on the part of the one saying these things. It's like, wow, Paul's really good at these incantations. But no, it, once again, it's, it's about the gospel. It's about the power of Jesus to overcome these things. And even as Paul's heart's maybe not in the best place, as he's slightly annoyed, the power of the gospel is able to meet this girl where she is and set her free. And I think it's so helpful and special that we get this testimony right after Lydia, right? Right after being reminded of the ordinary reach of the gospel. When so often we would be tempted to think, well, if the gospel works in these ordinary ways, right, maybe it's not that, that powerful. Right? It's, it's a cliche in, in movies, right? You get the ordinary old person who's actually really dangerous and powerful. Um, I know I've used Karate Kid before because that's one of my go-tos, but see Mr. Miyagi, or another person from my childhood, Splinter, right? Don't be deceived by the cane and the old, frail, giant rat body. Incredible skills and powers. Um, and I think there's a temptation, right? When we, when we say, okay, God works through these ordinary things. 
Even though my Bible study doesn't feel that great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep showing up. Even though sometimes I'm not thrilled about the songs we sing at church, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going there and singing with God's people. Even though Cameron, sometimes I don't get where he's coming from. Right, I'm gonna keep showing up, but what about, what about this addiction that I have? Right, that's great that, that I can read my Bible and get up early and pray, but I feel owned and controlled by this sin. I feel like the weight of shame and guilt is so heavy upon me. Can, can God really save me from that? Can I really experience freedom from these things that feel like they're controlling me and oppressing me, or the culture is pressing in, and I feel like I'm bound by my people-pleasing, my desire to be accepted? And yet we're reminded right on the heels of, of the ordinary reach of the gospel that that does not negate the power of Jesus Christ who has overcome by his death and resurrection anything that could separate us from God's love in him. There's nothing that can separate us. There's nothing I can do or say, no matter how many times and repeatedly I fall prey to it, that can separate me from God's love in Christ. And even as we remind ourselves of the ordinariness of the gospel, we need to be reminded of that as well. That we need to lay before the cross the struggles and weaknesses, the shame and guilt that Satan would use to try and control us and oppress us, right? That all of us probably have things that we've said or done or continue to struggle with that, that Satan will use to say, how dare you go and speak to others? How dare you continue to try and pray and read your Bible? when these things are true of you, and yet we can be reminded that, that Jesus is enough. The gospel meets us with power, even in the midst of our, our suffering and our messiness. Um, I think at times in my life I've been reminded this uh, lately as we struggle and, and have some of our own challenges, that there's just times, right, where it feels like we're trying to fix things and, and take care of things, and all of a sudden, it's like we're standing in front of the car or the lawnmower, and we've taken everything apart, and it's, nothing's working, and Jack Lane's not there to save us, or whoever your go-to mechanic is, and it's just like, all right, it's over. It's time to go buy a new lawnmower or car, right? And, and it's so easy to look at our lives and feel the same way, right? It's just falling apart. The pieces are laying everywhere. I don't have the power to do this. And that, that's part of the good news, right? It's not just that God meets us faithfully in these ordinary things, but as he meets us in those places, he has the power that no one else has to put those things back together. To care for us. And as we extend that grace to ourselves, we must extend it to others. I cannot tell myself that there is nothing I can do or say that could separate me from Christ and then look at someone who comes through those doors or meet a student on campus and not extend that same grace to them and believe that despite the awkwardness of that meeting, despite the fact that I'm, I'm having trouble maybe relating to that person or wondering how are we going to love you and serve you, that Jesus is able to meet them where they are that whatever thing it is that they are suffering under and feel controlled by Jesus is able to meet them as he continues to faithfully meet me as well. And this slavery was such a beautiful reminder of that because 
it'd be hard to think of someone who seems more hopeless than the person Paul and Silas encounter here. The final thing we see about the reach of the gospel and its ability to meet us is that the gospel's reach is adorned and that Jesus is often faithful through the fruit of the gospel in others' lives. The final encounter we have is with the jailer. So Paul and Silas have been thrown in prison, and starting in verse 25, we're told that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. It's interesting. Uh, on the one hand, we have Lydia seemingly doing well. Uh, God-fearer has some freedom and, and maybe social power in that society. Maybe the slave girl who seems to be the opposite in just about every way we can think of. And then I think we have the jailer. Uh, probably as a jailer in that day, he's, he's maybe a retired um, soldier. He's probably a, a blue-collar person. Uh, he seems like the sort of guy who just does his job, right? He gets these prisoners. He's told, don't let them escape. Great. While some of the other prisoners are interested in what Paul and Silas have to say, we're told that the jailer's asleep, right? All right, I did my job. These guys are singing. I'm going to get some sleep. For the most part, he just seems like he's concerned with his job. And it's not that the fact that there's an earthquake and the, the prison doors are thrown open and there's this miracle that takes place that really grabs his attention as much as it is the kindness that follows after that, right? He wakes up and thinks, oh my goodness, I have failed in my job, the thing that I actually care about. Uh, now I will probably die, maybe much worse than just a simple death. Maybe I'll be tortured. It seems like the people who turned these people in were very concerned about them. So I'll kill myself. And Paul and Silas have the opportunity to get away, right? They may die the very next day if they stay. They've already been beaten and thrown into this prison. And yet Paul has mercy on the man. At great risk to their life, he cries out and says, don't kill yourself. Don't do it. And it's then, after he's been shown that kindness and that compassion, that the jailer, who by everything we're told in the story could have been less concerned with Paul and Silas, then just cries out, what must I do to be saved? Um, I, I think it's the jailer... I don't know if I'm allowed to have a favorite conversion. I think I can. He, he might be my favorite, um, maybe the most helpful for me. Because I think we love to throw the word apathy and apathetic around, especially with college students. Uh, I remember Les Newsom uh, several years ago, someone that I first heard kind of talk about this passage, and I owe a great deal to, even as we look at this passage together. 
talking about how when he started off in RUF, he was at uh, a commuter college um, that just, most people just looked at and said, those students are so apathetic, that must be really hard. And one of the things he said was, as he spent time with students, he realized it wasn't so much that they were apathetic about life, it's more just they were passionate about other things than school a lot of time. They had jobs they were working, they were concerned about debt, they were very good at video games and interested in that, right? They had things they were passionate about. Um, and at first glance, it seems like the jailer is just another apathetic person, right? Like, oh my goodness, you have Paul singing and you're not interested in what he has to say? Come on. Right? Apathetic. Seems very passionate about something else, though, doesn't he? His job. Right? Like, he's willing to kill himself once he realizes this. And so, I think so often when we meet people in the world, and so often for our own hearts, in the ways in which we're so easily distracted, become passionate about other things, right? Like, am I going to have a job tomorrow? Will people like me and accept me? Will I achieve that status? Will my children turn out the way I want them to? There's so, there's so many things that feed into the things we give ourselves to and the, the time we pay to certain things. And so often, Jesus is faithful to us Faithfulness to us includes the fruit of others experiencing the gospel in their lives. If you've grown up in the church, if you're someone who's a follower of Jesus, it's probably not hard for you to look back and remember people who God has used in your life. And some of those people, you might look back on them and you can't remember a thing they said to you or talked to you, but you remember the way they cared for you? You remember the way that they loved you? Um, right? When Paul's giving his last words to Timothy, he does the same thing, right? Remember what your mom taught you. Don't depart from that word so quickly, right? Like even Paul appeals to that, right? It's, it's so important that we remember the fruit of the gospel and see that in others' lives. That even if we were to avail ourselves of all of the means, ordinary means of grace and read our Bible regularly and pray and, and, and worship the Lord, if we didn't spend time with other people, if we did know one anothering, if we didn't have the opportunity to see Jesus being faithful in other people's lives, there'd still be a great deal of God's grace we'd be depriving ourselves of. Because the gospel meets us in this ordinary way through the fruit of others, through the work of Jesus in others' lives. Um, and, and that's helpful for me because I think so many people, the neighbors that I live around, the students that I meet with, once again, it's not just that they're apathetic about everything, but there's a lot of things they're concerned about. There's a lot of things that they're worried about and that, that they're spending time thinking about. Instead of being upset and saying, how dare you don't listen to this, this word, right, perhaps I need to show them the gospel. Show them mercy and care for them, right? Uh, last, I think it was last week, sickness was upon our house and it may have been the first time in our marriage, it was definitely the first time since we've been here in Kennesaw where our entire household was home on a Sunday. And I just remember having like the very naive like daydream thought as we we're laying there in sickness and like wondering if we'll recover. Maybe my neighbors will see us like time of counting. Just come up and say like, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> of course that didn't happen. Um, right? Like I've got to get out of the house and care for my neighbor. <laughs> and yet too often I feel like that's that's kind of the way my 
my default mode on campus or my default mode with my neighbors is just like I'll just go about my thing and I'll, I'll have these words ready. And yet we're reminded here that there, there are people in the world where the gospel will meet them where they are because Jesus is faithful through his people. Jesus is faithful through his people. So he meets us where we are through the fruit of his work in others' lives. So as we conclude our time in Acts chapter 16, I hope we're encouraged to see that the gospel really does meet us in all these different ways. It's impossible, I think, if we look at this passage as a whole, with these three very different people, the very different ways in which the gospel met them, and not be amazed at the many ways that Jesus works to meet his people, that God is faithful and at work to bring people to him. And so we can return to the ordinary and boring ways, the seemingly small things in life that Jesus will use to work by his Holy Spirit, to reach us and to build us up and care for us. We can continue to have great hope in the power of the gospel, that there's nothing that that Jesus cannot overcome in our lives or in the lives of those of the people we'll meet. And finally, that, that Jesus will be faithful through us and in us, the fruit of those around us, to reach us and meet us where we are. And y'all, I really am encouraged as I come to this passage, partly because I have the opportunity this morning to share this with you as a body. It's impossible for me not to come to Acts 16 each year as I go through my anxiety, and I'm I'm starting to worry, like, can we really do what we say we're trying to do? And just be reminded that through the students that God has brought into RUF, and through the people that God has brought into Christ's community, he has given us a diversity of people He has given his church a diversity of gifts. This is why we need the body. That this is the place where we will see so much of what's happening in Acts chapter 16 play out in the lives of those around us. And the children we have the opportunity to care for. um, And and the saints that have gone before and have wisdom to share. There's just so many ways in which this is the place where the gospel will meet us where we are. And so I hope that's an encouragement to you as we think about serving and caring for one another in our community, I'll invite you to join me in praying. Gracious Father, once again, we just thank you for your word and the encouragement, the reminder of the many ways in which you meet us where we are, the ways in which you care for us, both the ordinary things, that there is nothing we can do or any power that can oppress us or control us, that can overcome you, that you have bought final and lasting victory through the blood of Christ, through his resurrection, and that you are faithful even in the lives of your people as the great vine dresser to bring about fruit, that the world would taste and see the power of the gospel, the faithfulness of our Lord and Savior to meet us where we are. Father, would you reach us even this morning with the gospel, and would you use us as you reach those around us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.